This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. College football continues to push along. The Big Ten's coming back sooner than expected. The SEC kicks off this weekend, and week two of the NFL season is in the books. And here at Saturday Sunday, we are back to break it all down, everything that happened this past week, a look ahead, and just, again, taking basically a stock inventory of draft-eligible prospects, Devi prospects, underclassmen, and then taking a look at the NFL rookies and checking in on how they performed in week two of their NFL careers. So let's get right into it. You know, want to start with first Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati this past weekend, 13 of 19, 196 yards and two touchdowns, had four rushes for 57 yards. I wanted to bring him up because he's a guy who I found interesting when I watched his film during the summer, he actually sits for me in my top six quarterback rankings. He sits at number six, but I think after the top three, it's up for debate in terms of, you know, who could be the fourth guy off the board in terms of the 2021 draft class. And I think Ritter's in the mix. I do. When I watch him play, he reminds me a lot. I think of his size, you know, the, his his stride lengths, a lot of Colin Kaepernick, his release. A lot of his game reminds me of Colin Kaepernick in terms of when Kaepernick was coming out of college in the early part of his NFL career. So Ritter's a guy who I think we should have on our radar as a guy who could be a day two quarterback prospect and really push his way into the mix of being a top five quarterback in this draft class. Next up, I want to talk about Oklahoma State. Two big-time prospects there kicked it off. You know, Chubba Hubbard at running back this past week, 27 carries, 93 yards, and one touchdown. I mean, for me right now, Chubba Hubbard sits as my third running back of draft-eligible prospects for the 2021 NFL Draft. Last year, he showed me a lot more than I had even expected from him. He showed me a little bit more of the ability to run between the tackles, you know, to show some contact balance. I still don't think that's his forte. I still don't think he's a, you know, a full workhorse at the NFL level. I think he's a guy at the NFL level who will be a day two pick, add a dynamic weapon to an offense, but be a guy who probably is more in that 12 to 14 12 to 15 touch look than the guy who's going to be an 18 to 20 carry guy. But I do think in, in the right scheme, he, you know, especially a, a, a team that spreads it out, has some wide open rushing lanes. I think Trevor Hubbard, you get him in a situation like that. And I think he could be very, a big time playmaker at the next level. Obviously elite, elite college production. We'll see what he does here. Uh, you know, for an encore to his monster statistical season last year. Tylen Wallace, obviously coming back from that injury last year. You know, he, I think, is a guy who very much on the day two mix for wide receivers, another great wide receiver class. So right now, Tylen Wallace sits at number 13 on mine. But, you know, he's got a little bit of everything to his game. When you watch him play, I think you're surprised at the athleticism and speed he has to get vertical down the field, but then he really has that my ball mentality of going up and get it, you know, and making plays in the air. So there's a lot to like about Tylen Wallace's game. 
it'll be interesting to see, you know, with such a deep wide receiver class where he kind of ends up falling, you know, especially with the injury last year, you know, is he a guy who's in the top five to 10? I don't think so. If everybody comes out, I think he's more, you know, in that 10 to 15 range of wide receivers. But as we saw last year, we could be on a trajectory of having another 15 wide receivers or so taken in the first three rounds. So I do think Tylen Wallace very much, you know, he's this year reminds me of, I think, a guy like Brian Edwards in terms of where his draft stock is going to be uh, for Tylen Wallace. So I think that's kind of what where we're heading in terms of that. Notre Dame had a big win this past weekend. Uh, Ian Book, 12, 1,943 yards, but three rushing scores. And that's something that Book could provide for you. You know, Book is a guy that some people like more than me. To me, he's a late day three guy, but he does offer, you know, some some versatility in terms of being a guy who could make plays with his legs as well. Mobile, can move around the pocket. I think he sometimes is better playing off structure than he is in structure. Uh, it just seems like the game is a little bit more natural for him when he's making plays when things are breaking down. Another quarterback uh, out of SMU, Shane Bichelle, he was a guy that Matt and I had been talking about for years when he was back at Texas. Finally getting an opportunity now to be the guy, and in that SMU offense, I think we're going to see some really gaudy uh, stats from Shane Bichelle. So, you know, this past week, 24-33, 344 yards and four touchdowns. A guy I wanted to bring up that, you know, a listener to the podcast had reached out to me on Twitter, Reggie Roberson. You know, this is two games now, 699 and one and 9103 and two. You know, this is a guy at six feet, 200 pounds. He's a guy that is not currently in the scouting notebook. He will, I am sure, be a guy that is added. He's on the watch list as one of the top guys who isn't in it. You know, it was just, you know, when I was making the watch, when I was making the write ups, I kind of, more uh, geared towards guys in the power five conferences or guys that there was a lot of film on, but he probably is right in the mix in that, you know, down at the back end at 25 to 30 range. Roberson's probably more talented than, than a couple of the guys down there at the back end, especially, you know, guys that were really waiting more on upside in terms of Jeremiah Holloman, formerly of Georgia, now at FIU, TJ Vasher at Texas Tech, uh, you know, DeMonte Coxie at Memphis. I think Roberson right there in the mix with those guys, uh, for sure. So great start to his season has the, has good size at six feet, 200 pounds. He's going to be a guy that's probably going to put up really gaudy stats. It's going to be interesting to kind of get a read on what the NFL thinks of him. And then the pre-draft process will probably be very big, uh, for him. The game of the week, which I highlighted last week in the tail of the tape was, you know, to be last week was Miami versus Louisville. A lot of interesting, you know, prospects out of that. Derrick King, really good game for injuring five yards passing and three touchdowns. Didn't even have to do much with his leg. Uh, and Miami beat Louisville last week, 47-34. But when King has games like this where he mostly just wins as a passer is what really makes me intrigued by Derrick King. Obviously, his athleticism, you know, rushing ability, you know, he's like a Kyler Murray in that regard. You know, very slippery, very quick, you know, King might be a guy that even ends up having, you know, he doesn't have the natural passing talent of a Kyler Murray. So they still talk that he could maybe be a, a position switch and and be a slash type player at the next level. But when he plays and you just see his passing acumen, there were times at Houston that I walked away impressed with his film. And that's why I liked him a lot last summer. So I'm going to be really interested to kind of keep my eye on this one. The NFL is a changing landscape and now in terms of a few years ago, Derrick King wouldn't even be a draftable quarterback prospect. But now I'm not sure. 
I think things are different now. I think a team could potentially, if he really shows well this year passing, I don't think it's out of realm of possibility he could get drafted and given and be given a shot as a quarterback. And I do like some of the skill set that he possesses. I love his ability to throw a touch. Obviously, his ability to move around, buy time in the pocket, make plays out of the pocket and off structure. So King is an interesting guy. Obviously, Brevin Jordan, I talked about him briefly last week, but uh, this past week, seven catches, 120 yards, starting to show a little bit more consistency in terms of the box score week in and week out. So I think Brevin Jordan is a guy who, again, I've made it known that I like Pitts and Friermuth more than Jordan, but I don't think there's a big gap between those top two to Jordan. And I could even see Jordan pushing his way right into the mix and making it three potential first round tight end prospects. I don't think that's at a realm of possibility uh, at all either. So Brevin Jordan, big game on the Louisville side, obviously they lost, but you had a couple guys really stand out. Uh, Cunningham, the quarterback, 307 yards, three touchdowns. Listen, he's a guy in, in another interesting quarterback prospect. He's not a guy I've written up yet for the scouting notebook, but he's a guy that will be on my radar if he continues, you know, to produce as he was. I think he's an interesting player nonetheless. At running back, Javion Hawkins, I talked about him last week. He's going to be a change of pace, third down type guy at the next level, but man, he's an offensive threat waiting to happen. 27 carries, 164 yards and a touchdown. You know, he's a guy who I think would be a perfect complement to a more physical in between the tackles because I think Hawkins is best in space out on the perimeter, but a lot of juice, a lot of athleticism, change of direction skills makes him an intriguing prospect. And then the wide receivers, I, I like both these guys. Tutu Atwell, Des Fitzpatrick, you know, Atwell this week, eight catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. He's a big, big play. Right now, he sits right behind. I mentioned Tylen Wallace before. Tutu Atwell sits right behind them at 14, but I could see a team uh, valuing Atwell more than a, a Tylen Wallace, more than a Sage Surratt, just based on his explosion, his speed, the way he can impact the game from inside in the slot. So Atwell is a guy who I think could easily push his narrative to be a you know late second round or somewhere in the middle of third round pick as a guy that might even go higher than we expect due to that speed and big play threat that he offers. And then Des Fitzpatrick, a you know, favorite of us here at Saturday to Sunday, seven catches, 74 yards. I like his inside outside versatility, you know, whether he's playing the flanker position is a possession receiver where he's playing a big slot. I do like the nuance to Des Fitzpatrick's game and think, you know, his combination of route running, his play strength, physicality, and toughness make him a really good day type wide receiver draft pick. And I think he could be a guy that really, you know, rounds out a, a top four of a depth chart at the NFL level. If we take our attention to the Debbie slant, really only one guy I wanted to bring up today. And again, the Debbie slant, you know, some weeks it'll be four or five guys talking about one week. It'll be, you know, just one guy. And the only guy that really stood out that I wanted to talk about, you know, and obviously Clemson had a really, you know, comfortable big win this past weekend. But I wanted to mention, because last week, you know, I talked about Joe Nagata in the Debbie slant. And this week I want to talk about Frank Lazen Jr. I mean, Lazen Jr. is a guy who, yeah, this week had three catches, 87 yards, and two touchdowns. But more importantly, this is a guy who's a big-time recruit, and I think he he is going to be another superstar wide receiver that comes through that Clemson program, you know, similar to Mike Williams, similar to T. Higgins, similar to Justin Ross. You know, Lazen Jr. is a 
is a guy who is going to be highly regarded, I think, when his time comes to be draft eligible. He's 6'3", 205-pound sophomore. He's got great size. He's added to his frame, so now I don't think that's as much of an issue. Probably could still continue to add another five pounds of muscle or so. I love his length and catch radius. He's got good speed. He's faster than anything people think when you first see him play. He's got good body control, ability to adjust. He can win vertically down the field. So, I mean, Clemson just continues to produce these wide receivers. They just have them waiting in the wings, even in terms of underclassmen that are going to be the next superstar wide receivers that come out of Clemson in the likes of, like I said, Mike Williams and T Higgins, you know, and, and if health wise permitting, you know, Justin Ross, probably in the 2021 NFL draft, but down the pike, these guys are going to be ready to, to be big time prospects in their own right. So keep an eye on, on Frank Lazen Jr. The rest of the year here. If we take this, to detail of the tape. SEC kicks off this weekend, so a lot of intriguing things, you know, to be looking for this week. I think the the games are that I'm most excited to look out for are all SEC games for a variety of reasons. The first one is Kentucky versus Auburn. That's number 23 in the polls versus number eight. You know, really on the Auburn side is what has me intrigued this. I kind of want to see the next progression and development of Bo Nix. And then obviously there his his number one wide receiver, Seth Williams. You know, Seth Williams, right now he sits at number eleven for me. You know, I think he's in the mold of a Mike Evans type player or Mike Williams type player, Alshon Jeffrey type player. You know, I think he's squarely on the, the day two radar in terms of his NFL draft status. You know, and if he shows more athleticism. I think he I think he could even push his way into late one consideration early to, you know round two consideration more than like maybe mid round two. So Bo Nix, Seth Williams, kind of see how they kick off their year here against Kentucky, you know, in what should be a pretty good competitive contest, you know, for one of the first games in the SEC play this year. Another game I'm looking forward to seeing is number five, Florida versus Ole Miss. On the Florida side, Kyle Trask, who some people are really intrigued by. He sits number 10 in my preseason draft-eligible quarterback rankings. You know, there's some things about his game. He's still a little bit inexperienced. I want to see more reps from him, but he's got good size, good frame. He doesn't have the arm strength and velocity you would think that kind of matches size and frame, but he shows good toughness, standing tall in the pocket, you know, breaking tackles. He's hard to take down. He can play off structure a little bit. You know, so Trask is an interesting player, but really the guy in Florida I'm most excited about is Kyle Pitts. As I mentioned before, when I was talking about Brevin Jordan, you know, I have Brevin Jordan behind Pitts, behind Friar Moot, but Pitts is my favorite tight end prospect in the country. If anybody watched Monday Night Football this week and you saw Darren Waller, that's who Pitts reminds me of in every way. He's not going to be a traditional tight end. He's not, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be asked to block much as a Giants fan. I have watched Evan Ingram be wasted so much in terms of his ass to block in terms of not just asking him to be used as a receiving threat. The Raiders seem to have figured it out with Waller. They predominantly get him out running routes in the slot in motion. And if a team does that with Pitts, I think he's going to be a very, very impactful player at the next level. On the other side, Ole Miss, a couple, couple underclassmen that, you know, 
that had me intrigued is Jerry Neely, the running back. He was a guy that Matt loved coming out of high school. He showed glimpses last year of his big play threat. I think come next year, we're talking about Jerry Neely as one of the top five to eight you know, running backs in the country for the 2022 NFL draft. So keep an eye on Jerry Neely if you're unfamiliar with him. Matt Corral, the quarterback, want to see how he looks and his development and progress. And then wide receiver Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore right now sits number 18 on my ranks. He's another guy similar to Daz Newsom, similar to Tutu Atwell. I think he's a slot exclusive player, but he is shifty. Good change of direction, cutting ability, get him in the open field, get him in open space. Could be a big play right after the catch as well. So Elijah Moore is someone that I'm keeping an eye on in that game. Can Ole Miss hang with Florida? I'm not sure they can. I think Florida wins the game comfortably, but I'm still intrigued by some of the skill players on the Ole Miss side in terms of how they look here uh, in their first games of the season. Another SEC game I'm looking forward to seeing is Mississippi State versus LSU. So obviously LSU with all the players they lost, you know, from last year's national title team. And then, you know, Jamar Chase opting out. I'm interested to see the quarterback position. You know, what does Miles Brennan look like uh, for LSU? And then Terrace Marshall Jr. now steps into the, the limelight as, as the alpha wide receiver. So that's what I'm looking forward on the LSU side. On the Mississippi State side, very intrigued by KJ Costello. Right now, he sits at number seven in my quarterback ranks. But as I said before, I think four to seven, four to eight, it's wide open. There could be a lot of movement. And I think Costello in this Mike Leach offense, I am very intrigued. I like Costello last year in the preseason before the season started, thinking that he could have been a very intriguing prospect, you know, to move up the the draft boards. I think Costello has a chance here in this Mike Leach offense to really be impressive. So I'm interested to see, obviously, tough test here against LSU to start the year, but I think we could get a read right away on how Costello looks in this new offense. And then Kylan Hill, a lot of people thought he was going to come out last year. He didn't come out. He chose to go back to school. He sits number nine right now in my running back ranks. I think some people could have him a little bit higher. I think it would even be okay to have him a little bit lower. To me, Kylan Hill is very much in the mold of a Zach Moss type player. Good physicality, strength, toughness, you know, bouncing off guys. But what I'm really interest, interested to see is how he looks in the passing game because I think he showed glimpses of it earlier in his collegiate career, and now you put him in this Mike Leach offense. Historically, the running backs catch a lot of passes in this offense. So I, I'm really intrigued to kind of see what happens here uh, with Kylan Hill and can he show that versatility to maybe increase his – you know, his ability to show that he could be a more well-rounded running back and impact the game in terms of the passing downs as well. So I'm keeping a close eye on Kylan Hill and KJ Costello. Those are the three games I'm keeping my eye on most, but there's a lot of good games today, this upcoming weekend from Alabama, Missouri. How does the Alabama, you know, big time prospects look? FSU versus Miami, one of the, you know, historically one of the best rivalries in college football. You have Georgia versus Arkansas. You got Vanderbilt versus Texas A&M. I mean, there's so many prospects, you know, that are highly interesting in terms of their draft status from all of those teams. I mean, you got Kellen Mond, you got Jamon Osborne, you know, you know, in terms of what's happening with, you know, the quarterback position, obviously, you know, Jamie Newman decided to opt out. So he's not going to be there this year. You know, so how does Georgia look? You know, they're running back. Samir White is the guy I'll be most interested in watching in that game. 
you know, FSU Miami. We already talked about the Miami guys before. So how how did how did they play after coming off that big win against Louisville last week? And then obviously Alabama versus Missouri. You know, how does Alabama look? Their plethora of skill players, Najee Harris, uh, you know, the wide receivers, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, you know, Brian Robinson, another tailback. You know, so how did the Alabama guys look as well? I think is gonna be uh, fun to see here in this first game. If we turn our attention to the NFL draft report for week number two, right at the top last Thursday night, Joe Burrow battled Baker Mayfield in prime time on Thursday night. Joe Burrow was asked to throw the ball 61 times. I mean, you probably thought he was playing at LSU again with that staggering number. He was 37 of 61 for 316 yards and three touchdowns. Other Burrow was much better week two than he was week one. And I just think you start to see it. Listen, he might not be a consistent fantasy producer this year. He might not get the Bengals to a lot of wins. But what he already has started to show is that he belongs and he's going to be a guy that's a, a difference maker as he continues to put it all together. He can impact the game with his legs in addition to his arms. Uh, he reminds me a lot in the running component of Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was a guy that had better athleticism than people gave him credit for. He's a guy that could pick up some touchdowns rushing. I think the same thing is going to happen with Joe Burrow. You know, So he's a guy that I'm very interested in. Uh, to kind of see how this year plays out. I think he's going to have some very big spike weeks. Then he'll have some other weeks where he struggles. I think it'll be a little bit inconsistent this year, but I think by year two, he'll hit the ground running and be a every week fantasy starting quarterback, even in one quarterback leagues uh, with that rushing component and with his throwing ability as well. If we take this over to the wide receivers, why don't we stick there with his teammate, Joe Burrow's teammate, T Higgins. He only had three catches for 35 yards. But I think it was very telling if you take a look at the snap count to see that John Ross seems to be falling out of favor with the Bengals. And for most of that game after early on, T. Higgins took over as the third wide receiver there with A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd, and he ran a lot of routes. So while most people thought it might take a year for T. Higgins to kind of be consistently on the field, if they're going to run three wide receivers as frequently as they did, you know, in week two, you're going to see T Higgins get an opportunity to make plays much sooner rather than later. And I'm a believer in T Higgins talent. I think he's a guy that's going to develop into Joe Barrow, number one wide receiver. So he's a guy that I still think went a little bit later than he should have. I know it was a, a really good draft class, but I still think people look at him. And again, I think the big wide receivers seem to, kind of get pigeonholed that, that they're all going to bust. And, you know, for, like I said, in the pre-draft months, for every Laquan Treadwell, there's a Kenny Galladay or an Allen Robinson. So I think T. Higgins is going to be just fine. And I would love to get him on my team now before he has a big breakout week. So I'd aggressively be checking in on the T. Higgins owner. And even if I have to overpay a little bit, I'd like to go get him now, knowing that he's going to be attached at the hip to Joe Burrow, uh, for for the foreseeable future. LaVisca Chenault with the Jaguars. Again, not gaudy stats, but what I want to talk about, three catches, 35 yards, five rushes for 37 yards, is 
Matt and I talked about him. He's that prototype. He's the Debo Samuel. You know, we called him, you know, we called him the wing back or, you know, LaVisca Chenault is going to be that guy that I still think his receiving game could develop into a very good receiver. But as his receiving continues to be refined and developed, he's a guy that can make an impact in so many ways. You can run wildcat quarterback. You can run him on jet sweeps, end the rounds, the touch passes. You can get him on screens and slants and get the ball in his hands. And I love the fact that two games into the season, we're seeing LaVisca Chenault used in a variety of ways. And I expect his role and his usage just to continue to increase. So I think he could even have some fancy viability in his rookie year. But I love his long-term outlook. I got him wherever I could when he started falling to the mid to late part of round two in my rookie drafts. Chenault was the guy that I was actively trying to pursue and buy on how much I liked him. C.D. Lamb, some people were concerned about the landing spot. I tried to warn people, there's plenty to go around. Stop worrying about the landing spot. I said the same thing when Calvin Ridley came out, and then people were freaking out that he wasn't the number one. He had two great years you know, with Atlanta, and now this year he looks like he's ready to maybe turn – over into a legitimate number one wide receiver, even with Julio Jones still there, Calvin Ridley. And I think C.D. Lamb, the same thing. We're seeing him already be impactful. This past week, six catches, 106 yards. He may already be better player than Michael Gallup. And it's just, a, you know, so you're going to see, yeah, there might be some down weeks that some weeks it'll just be a Cooper and, you know, Gallup week or just one of them. But then there's going to be other weeks that Lamb's right there in the mix. Dallas is going to throw the ball a lot, lot a lot of targets, were to go there when you look before the year started and there was no more Randall Cobb and there was no Jason Witten. And listen, and now Blake Jarwin's out the year. And I know Dalton Schultz had a great game this past week, but I still think there's plenty to go around for Cooper to be a low end wide receiver, one high end wide receiver, two, and CD Lamb and Michael Gallup both to be wide receiver three types with upside. I think that is in the realm of possibility this year. Another guy I want to bring up is Quintus Cephas. Three catches, 54 yards. He has played a lot the first two weeks of the season with Kenny Galladay injured. And I bring up Quintus Cephas is, I think now is the time to try to get him on your dynasty leagues if you don't have him. Because I think there's a strong possibility Marvin Jones is on the trade block sooner rather than later. Detroit looks like they're going to be a bad team this year. I can see them saying, you know what? Marvin Jones is going to be a free agent, I believe, after the year. Let's try to trade him now. Maybe we can get back a third-round pick or something like that or a fourth-round pick. And if that's the case, Cephas might get an opportunity to be in the starting lineup this year. I know he didn't test out well athletically, but here Saturday, Sunday, we liked him. I know Matt Waldman liked him. Other people liked him. He's a guy that he can play big slot. He can be, you know, he can play the possession flanker receiver on the outside. But I think his testing numbers don't do him justice in terms of how good of a football player he is. So Quintus Cephas is a guy that I think you can buy relatively cheap right now. And I think you might be able to reap the benefits down the line, whether it's not this year, it could be next year. And I I like getting Cephas on my team now when the cost is still low. Justin Jefferson, three catches, 44 yards. The Vikings offense right now is just stuck in the mud, basically. Jefferson, listen, I had concerns about Jefferson in Minnesota because I think he's best in the slot, but they don't got anybody right now that can get vertical and really attack defenses and scare defenses. The Jefferson pick didn't really replace Stefan Diggs in terms of what Stefan Diggs brought to the table. Stefan Diggs was a guy that could create separation at all three levels of the field, can wood 
vertically down the field, could really put pressure on defenses. And that's not really what Justin Jefferson's game is. Justin Jefferson, to me, is a guy, you know, best case scenario, he's a Keenan Allen type player. But to me, he's more of a guy who is best in the slot, you know, run good routes. I don't think he, he, so right now, I think this offense is really, really missing Stefan Diggs. And right now they're trying to find an identity. And I, I think part of it is not having that guy that can really challenge defenses vertically down the field. That's not really Jefferson's game right now. So I think we kind of got to wait it out and see if Minnesota can figure out what works for them this year. Brandon Ayuk back on the field this week, two catches, 21 yards. I think expect his role to continue to grow as the year goes on there. 49ers are desperate for play cat, a pass catcher. So you might even see him get more involved in week three, but I think, you know, it might take some time. He was a little bit unrefined and raw of a player, but if you get him the ball in space, I think that's where he really can shine. It's why I think San Francisco liked him and drafted him early. And then, to round out wide receivers, two Bronco wide receivers, obviously Jerry Judy, you know, my infatuation with him in terms of being one of the best route runners I've ever seen, you know, in terms of coming out of college, four catches, 62 yards this week, did have another bad drop. He's got to clean up those drops. But with Corlin signing out the year, Judy's going to see a lot of targets this year. He could easily catch 80, 90 passes this year based on the amount of looks he's going to get. And then the other guy now you got to have on your radar is KJ Hamler, who I thought was going to kind of be buried this year and may not really be much of a factor. But now it's, without Sutton there, I think Hamler's going to get on the field. And I love Hamler's explosiveness. Three catches, 48 yards this week. You know, obviously Drew Locke's going to be out a while with an injury, so we'll see what Jeff Driscoll can do. But Hamler's big playability, his ability, you know, to be a weapon after the catch, I'm kind of in- intrigued to get, to see him get an opportunity this year more than I expected with the injury now to Cortland Sutton. So keep an eye on K.J. Hamler. Nothing to talk about the tight end position. That's going to be most of this year, uh, you know, as any of these rookies become in any way, shape, or form relevant, obviously we'll talk about them here. Uh, for right now, if you drafted them, they're kind of stashes. I, I, I wouldn't aggressively be going to look to add any. I wouldn't be looking to trade any of them right now. You know, unless the deal's right, I would probably just be holding on to them and kind of waiting it out and see what happens. If we take this to the running back spot, I think we got to talk about James Robinson for a second. You know, undrafted rookie you know, lower level school and college. And now he's a starting running back for an NFL football team. And this past week, 16 carries, 102 yards and a touchdown. I think he's kind of locked in. I mean, maybe Raquel Armstead or Divine Zigbo come off of, you know, injury reserve at some point and they work their way into the mix. But I think right now it's James Robinson's job and he's not a flashy player. I don't think he's a long-term starter in the NFL, but he's got good short area bursts. He runs tough physical compact runner, you know, that's going to get what's there for him. And I think, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to, to be the starter probably for the foreseeable future in terms of this season. He'd not be a guy that I'd be looking to buy and thinking he's a starter next year or anything like that. Jacksonville's got a lot of draft capital. I am sure they will add to the backfield uh, for sure in the off season and Robinson won't be the starter, but for now, I think Robinson's a, a, a serviceable RB3 uh, four type running back for this year. And while we're on the, the topic of Jacksonville there for a second, I know we, we're just talking about rookies, but you know, I'd be remiss because whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on here, you know, I've been, I've been very critical of, of Gardner Minshew saying that I kind of thought it was a flash in the pan last year. He started out hot, then he faded, you know, I thought defenses had kind of figured him out. 
you know, and then I said that if he wasn't a fifth round pick and the mustache and the swag, you know, I didn't think he'd be getting the attention. But right now, Jacksonville is very shorthanded on that football team. It really sure did look like they were, you know, basically tanking, so to speak, you know, for Trevor Lawrence and, and all Gardner Minshew's done the first two weeks is it's played outstanding. And, you know, here at Saturday Sunday, we are more than willing to adapt, you know, and adjust. We we get frustrated when people don't adjust based on what they're seeing now and they hold pre-draft bias and narratives. So at this point, it's starting to not be relevant what I thought about Gardner Minshew, you know, coming out where I thought maybe he was just a, a serviceable journeyman backup. Now maybe that still ends up being the case, but but I got to give him credit for how he's looked. He's looked good in week one. He wasn't asked to do too much, but he was very efficient. I think like 18 of 19 this past week, he kept the Jaguars, you know, in the football game for, for like three touchdowns. He's got a really soft schedule the next couple of weeks. Listen, I'm not ready to crown him and say he's the franchise quarterback yet because if Jacksonville's in position to get, you know, a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields and, and they think, you know, that Gardner Minshew is serviceable, but they look at those guys as, as elite guys, I, I wouldn't blame them one bit for maybe trading, you know, Minshew, trying to get a round three or round four pick or whatever, if, if he shows that he's serviceable this year to maybe be a starter somewhere else and then get those guys. So I'm not ready to lock in on him. Maybe by the end of the year, he could really wow me and convince me that they should not be in the quarterback market. But I think he'll continue to have success in the next couple of weeks. And then it'll be interesting to kind of see if he keeps it going. Cause like I, like I mentioned last year, he started out hot and faded a little bit. I don't know, but what I've seen of him the last two weeks, I thought was more impressive than anything I saw last year from him. And I think that is something that you got to give people credit when, when they show more uh, than what you've seen in the past from them. And that's what Minshew has done early uh, in the season this year. Other running backs, Jonathan Taylor, now with Marlon Mack out, is going to get fed as much as he can handle. 26 carries for 101 yards. He's the clear bell cow there. DeAndre Swift had 10 total touches, only five rushes for 12 yards, but very active and involved in the passing game. Five catches for 60 yards. I think right now the receiving game is going to carry, kind of carry DeAndre Swift's uh, fantasy value because right now he's stuck in a timeshare with Adrian Peterson and Carrion Johnson and quite the mess there. It'll be interesting to see uh, if there is a coaching change during the year, how that kind of mixes things up. If they say, okay, it's just time to get the, the rookie out there, the young players out there and see what they got. So that's interesting. Zach Moss, eight carries, 37 yards. I think the thing about Zach Moss is, is again, just like Devin Singletary last year, the value is going to be capped by how much Josh Allen runs inside the 10 yard line, you know, and, and, and how many goal line rushes he gets and touchdowns he steals. So right now it's just kind of Zach Moss and Devin Singletary kind of sharing work on early down duties. They both play on third down sometimes. I think Zach Moss is more the preferred guy inside the five, but it doesn't mean that he's going to get the opportunity to score, you know, if Josh Allen is stealing a lot of those touchdowns. Uh, but Moss, I still think, I, I think after taking a running back back-to-back years in the third round, I don't envision Buffalo being a team that invests in a running back high next year. So I do think you have some stability knowing that it's probably Moss and Singletary's backfield uh, not just this year, but all of next year as well. And then who knows down the line. But I do think there's a little stability there that Moss is going to get all of this year and next year to kind of see where he fits into that backfield depth chart. Cam Akers actually started the game for uh, the Rams, uh, played the first couple snaps, and then got hurt. It'll be interesting. We'll, we'll see how long he's out. But right now, that's a messy timeshare uh, with the Rams. So you're going to kind of have to wait that out. We thought maybe he was going to be very viable early in his rookie – early in his rookie career. 
uh, but it might not be as fancy viable early on with Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson very much in the mix. Antonio Gibson this past week at 13 carries for 55 yards. Antonio Gibson's going to break a long run very soon. You just kind of see it. He's still learning the nat- the, and he's going to be learning the whole year, the nuances of the running back position, but you see the freakish athleticism. You see the burst, you see the, ath- the acceleration, you see the intrigue with Antonio Gibson. Where I'm baffled by is the usage. They have not gotten him the ball as a receiver. I mean, most people thought, many people thought he was a wide receiver more than a running back. And everything you heard in the preseason was that Scott Turner, the OC, was going to use him in a variety of ways. Listen, I love that he's getting as many touches as he is, but I think he's more of a guy who, who should be getting eight to 12 rushes a week, but then minimum four to six targets a week. And if he starts seeing those four to six targets, you're talking about getting an RB2 uh, with upside in terms of fantasy leagues. So I'm, I'm waiting to see the usage in the pass game go up there. And then I think if that happens, it could really open up for him to start being fantasy viable week in and week out. I would be aggressively going to buy Antonio Gibson because I think there's big time potential for him to be a fantasy factor. And I think right now he's probably still obtainable and if he has a big week where he breaks a 50 yard touchdown run and then has like 30 or 40 yard you know reception in the game as well i think you're going to see his value skyrocket it's gonna be very hard to get him on your dynasty rosters uh joshua kelly's got to be talked about 23 carries this past week 64 yards also had two catches for 49 yards the big thing is is that i talked about this right after he was drafted and all and you know, when we talked about it, that there was an opening in that backfield, whether it was going to be Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly was to be determined. And now Justin Jackson's injury has kind of opened the door for Joshua Kelly. Is they're not going to force feed 20, 25 touches for Austin Eckler. They probably want him to live in that 16 to 18 range. So there's going to be a lot to go around there for another guy to be a, a guy. And I don't think he's going to get 23 rushes a game, but there is room there for a guy, another running back on top of Eckler to be somewhere in the 11 to 14 rushes week in and week out. I do think that is very possible, and it might be that Kelly is taking that over right now and and could have fancy viability this whole year. So I think his stock is up. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, not going to be a guy that we need to talk about too often. Obviously had a quiet statistical week, 10 catches, 38 yards, but I did want to bring him up because after week one, not being actively involved in the passing game, this past week, six catches, 32 yards, I'm not worried. He's one of the best pass catching running backs to come out since Christian McCaffrey. Matt was talking about that last year. He's going to be heavily involved in the passing game, and that's for sure. So I wanted to bring him up just because he was involved. Uh, and, you know, I think it's Im- important to kind of – some people got really nervous after that week one. Things kind of level itself out. He's a great receiving back. He's going to see car- He's going to see carries, and he's going to see plenty of receptions as the year goes on. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 2. Guys, I hopefully you enjoyed these episodes, how we kind of have it broken down. We start with the, you know, the 2021 NFL Draft Report, where we focus a lot of our attention on the draft-eligible prospects. We hit up the, div- the Devi slant with a couple underclassmen prospects to keep an eye on. We take a look at this week's upcoming matchups in terms of the, the prospects we're most interested in. And then we always round out these season shows by talking about the NFL rookies in terms of their previous performance and stock up, stock down, who would be aggressively going to buy now, buy low, uh, even buy highs, things like that. So hopefully you enjoy these shows. Best way, rate, review, subscribe really helps us out. And more importantly, uh, the premium notebooks, 
you know, are now available. There'll be a short podcast just talking about them as well, but they are available for purchase. Uh, this year it contains three notebooks. Uh, so please check that out. If you've never purchased them, please consider uh, checking them out for us. You know, we have a lot more listeners uh, who have never, you know, taken the opportunity to see what the notebooks are all about. And it would really be a tremendous help to Matt and myself and our sound tech engineer, David, uh, for more people to give it a shot. It really is uh, everything we get from there goes right back into the product in terms of, you know, the server in terms of, you know, all the different, you know, subscriptions we need, you know, all that stuff. So it's the best way to continue to help us out in terms of bringing what we bring to you uh, week in and week out throughout the college football, NFL and draft season here at Saturday to Sunday. So please check that out. If you have any questions, you can reach out uh, to me or Matt uh, on Twitter and we will gladly uh, help it out and respond to it and let you know uh what your answers uh, are for that. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>